Cool. Thanks. All right. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they are able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Pray with me. Father, you are in heaven. And we pray, Lord, that your name would be holy, that people would worship you as you deserve. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've given us, Lord, blessing after blessing, food, shelter, family, friends, school, church, health, youth group. And we thank you for all these things, Lord. We ask you to forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who have sinned against us. For yours is the kingdom, our Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So turn back with me to the book, to the chapter of Mark, chapter 1, the very first verse. It reads this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you remember, this is a battle cry. It's a heralding of good news. That there's victory in the real Jesus, our Savior, King. The Son of God, the title that Mark uses here, is a title of divine kingship. Divine kingship. It says that Jesus Christ, not the Caesar, not the rulers of the nations, not Trump, not Biden, not you, not me, but Jesus is the King. And it says in verse 15 that he's come to proclaim his kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled means that the time of waiting is over. For millennia, Israel has waited for the promises of God to come true. They've waited all this time for him to actually do what he said he's going to do. They longed for God to reign forever and ever, to defeat Satan's sin and death. The kingdom of God is at hand means that the kingdom of God is no longer far away. It's no longer cloudy and distant, but it's near, it's close, and it's personal. 
the kingdom of God coming is our hope. When the kingdom of God comes, there will finally be peace. God will reign. And so there will be no more wars. Nations will live in harmony and everyone will worship the one true and living God. Suffering and sickness will be forgotten. Turmoil and chaos, pandemics and persecution will end forever. No one will be alone. No one will weep. All the world will thrive in joy. And finally, Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. If you're a Christian, this is our hope. It's our future. It's our inheritance. It's God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, God himself is king and he reigns over all. As Christians, we're citizens of that kingdom. And yes, that kingdom is not fully here yet, but when our king commands, his kingdom will come. Now, even before his kingdom comes, we live as kingdom people living for the king. I say all this about the kingdom because Mark chapter four is actually all about the kingdom. Three times in this chapter, Jesus mentions the kingdom. Flip over to Mark chapter four with me, go to verse 11. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God to verse 26. He says, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And then lastly, in verse 30, he says, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for? And he actually even keeps going. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, at first glance, if we think about it, this is not exactly what we expect when we hear someone talk about the kingdom. Jesus says it's a secret and there's like seeds or something. So uh, I don't know about you, but I need, I need help. I, I, what, what does that mean? What does that mean, Jesus? The title of the sermon is The King Reveals His Kingdom. The King Reveals His Kingdom. And the key idea is this. Jesus, the King himself, reveals his unstoppable, unrivaled kingdom. Jesus, the King himself, reveals his unstoppable, unrivaled kingdom. Our passage is broken up into four separate sections, and it's marked by, and he said, and he said. The first section is the King revealed. Look at verse 21 with me. He said to them, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Lamps have one job, right? To shine the light. In Jesus' day, lamps were little containers, um, usually made of clay that held oil and a wick. They're kind of like candles, right? So they'd light them and then use them to light their homes at night and put them on a stand. They have the same job as every lamp that has ever been in the history of lamps to shine the light. Today, we don't use those kind of lamps, but we basically have flashlights, which are today's modern day versions of lamps, right? When you're camping, do you turn on the flashlight only to throw it inside your backpack? Or do you turn on your flashlight only to throw it, you know, at the bottom of your sleeping bag? No, right? That'd be, that'd be ridiculous. Like, what's the point of turning it on? How can a flashlight shine when it's hidden? How can a lamp shine when it's put under a basket? They can't, right? They can't. Now, now Jesus is not concerned about lamps here. He's really concerned about the truth that lamps demonstrate. Look at chapter, look at verse 22 with me. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, which means to be made revealed, to be shown. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. Just like the lamp exists for the purpose of shining the light and to reveal things, so too do all things that are hidden exist in order to be revealed. Everything that's secret is a secret so that it can be made known. Now think about it this way. 
when you play hide go seek, right? You hide, but the whole point is for you to, to be found eventually, right? I mean, imagine if you would hide and then you'd be hidden forever. It'd be like a little, really hard hide and go seek game. And actually pretty, pretty sad because we'd never ever see you again, right? The whole point is that you hide so that you can be made revealed, so you can be found. So too, Jesus says that the only reason things are hidden is for the purpose of later being revealed. Nothing is hidden from God. And so God can reveal all things. That's really important. That's important because just before this passage, Jesus taught the parable of the sower and the soils. Do you remember that? Two months ago, yeah, a whole two months ago, Daniel taught about the four kinds of soils that represent four kinds of hearts. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, the soft heart. Yet most of the people listening to Jesus didn't actually understand the purpose of this parable at all. Why? If you go to Mark chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they indeed may see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now reading these verses, we might be tempted to think, wait, wait, wait on a second. Jesus wants to keep the kingdom a secret? From almost everyone? We might be tempted to think that Jesus doesn't want people to see and perceive, to hear and understand, to turn and be forgiven. Wait, wait, Jesus, that means that Jesus would be ungenerous and ungracious and unloving. Right? And we might even conclude that the gospel is actually only to be given to those who are somehow special or elite or privileged. And if we thought that, we'd be dead wrong. In the New Testament, the word translated as secret or mystery means something that was hidden and is now revealed. It was a secret, but now everyone should know about it. For example, just one example, Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, I became a minister to make the word of God fully known, to make the word of God fully known. What is this word of God? What is this? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Do you hear that? The mystery was hidden. Now it's revealed. The secret was, the mystery was a secret, but now has been disclosed. We were in darkness, cut off from knowledge, but now we see. Now we see. But why? What's changed? Because we have the lamp, and that lamp shines. I insist on saying the lamp, the lamp, because in the Greek, which is the original language in the New Testament, verse 21 has the definite article, the lamp. In fact, it could be translated, does the lamp come and be put under a basket? Now, the word the is really important, right? If I said to you, hey, I got a gift for Christmas, you'd be like, oh, okay, like everyone gets gifts for Christmas, Keith. Like, that's like, why, why are you talking about that? But if I said, I got the gift for Christmas, you'd be like, oh, interesting. What gift did you get? Like, I'm interested now. Is it, is it a good gift, right? The signifies it's special. There's something distinct about it. What is the lamp that shines in the darkness? What is the lamp that reveals the mystery hidden for ages and generations? What is the lamp that reveals the kingdom of God? The lamp is Jesus. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite pastors of our generation, elaborates on this. He says, the lamp is Jesus himself. Jesus is saying, I did not come here to be concealed forever. I came here as the lamp that is set on a lampstand so that the light that I bring may burst forth and clearly manifest itself 
to all who dwell in darkness. I did not come to be covered with a basket or hidden under a bed. I came to shine forth. What's the lamp's one job? To shine the light, to illuminate the darkness. What did Jesus do? As the lamp, he shines forth and teaches us the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his kingdom. Now, that's amazing when you think about it. It's, it's amazing. To reveal the kingdom to us, Jesus didn't just send us a text message or, or maybe like a nice written, written email. He didn't call us on the phone or even do a video call with us over Zoom. He didn't send us a diplomat. He didn't send us a prophet. He didn't even send us an angel. He sent himself. The king himself came to earth. The king himself came to us. The king of all, he came to this rotten and sinful and messed up world in the flesh, truly God, truly man, to speak to us face to face. Sure, I know, I know Christmas season's over. It's January, not, not December anymore, Keith. But we ought to celebrate the king's nearness every single day. When we read his word, when we hear good sermons, when we receive good counsel from one another, we hear the very voice of the king himself. This king, our king, he's bursting forth of light. He's eliminating every realm of darkness. This king, our king, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's proclaiming his kingdom. This king, our king, he's calling from the rooftops, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This light, this revelation is not just to some small group of people, but it's actually to everyone. That's why in verse 23, look at this. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's an invitation. God's not hiding from us. The lamp shines in the darkness for everyone to see. The question is, do you see him? Jesus is broadcasting the truth as far as the ends of the world, even in Torrance, even in our church, even in this youth group. The question is not, is Jesus generous? The question is, are you listening? Most of you, if not all of you, know that Jesus is the savior of the world. Right? We memorize John 3.16, and that's, that's, we know the gospel because of that. You know that you should love, follow, and serve him. And if you know these things, believe me, it's not because you're smarter, right? It's because God has put you in a good church that actually teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be this church or some other church, right? And you're so blessed. You're so blessed to have this much light, to have this much knowledge. I would dare say, and listen to me, I would dare say you probably know more than 80% of the whole world than the, of the Bible. Right? And I really do mean that. I really do think that most people here know more than 80% of the whole world about the Bible. My question to you is, what have you done with that truth? If Jesus truly is the king, are you obeying him? If the kingdom of God truly is close, are you living like a citizen of that kingdom? Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We have to understand him rightly. He doesn't, he's not just talking about physically hearing words or sounds. To have ears to hear means you hear the word of God and your heart is changed. It means to hear the word of God and to put it into practice. It means to hear the word of God as the commands of our sovereign king and you obey what he says. As James chapter one says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. In other words, yes, listen, hear, but you also need to do what it says. I mean, let's be honest, right? How many times have we listened to a sermon, 
And literally five minutes after it's finished, remember nothing, like, like literally nothing. What passage it is, the title, nothing, not even who spoke, right? How many times have people asked us how youth group was? And we go, okay, it was good. But we actually really have no idea how it was because we don't remember. We don't remember what we did. We don't remember what the sermon was about. We don't remember what we talked about in small group, nothing. How many times do we commit the same sins every single day, every single week, because we have failed to push the truth from our heads into our hearts and our hands? You've been given much truth, but are you listening? Are you really listening? Jesus says, pay attention. Why? The next section actually tells us why. There's great blessing in hearing the king, truly hearing him. But there's also terrible consequences for not listening. Let's go to the next section. The king's warning. The king's warning. Look at verse 24 with me. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Let's stop right there. The most important command a father can give to his child is listen. It means more than just let the sound of my voice entering your ears and then go out the other ear, right? It, mean, it means give careful attention to what I'm saying and do what I command you. It means more than just nodding mindlessly going, uh-huh, uh-huh, dad, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, dad, without actually paying attention at all to what he's actually saying. It means to be eager to understand, to grow in wisdom by learning from the one who loves you. In love and wisdom, good parents teach their children how to listen. How much more are loving and wise king? He says, pay attention to what you hear. That means give heed, listen well, don't fall asleep on me, right? Why? Because there's blessing to those who hear well, but there's judgment to those who fail to do so. Pick up in verse 24 again. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this is a puzzling statement. It has the same meaning, has the same meaning as the parable of the sower, which we talked about just previously. If you listen with faith, you will receive more blessing. If you reject what you hear in unbelief, even when the little growth you had will be taken away. In the parable of the soils, the good soil did what? It heard accepted, and it bore fruit, right? This is the soft heart. It's eager to hear, hear the voice of Jesus, and so believes in him, and by faith receives still more blessing from God. This is the Christian. She receives, and to her, God gives even more. But the other kinds of soil, the other kind of hearts, do not accept the word. Someone with a hard heart rejects Jesus immediately. To this person, Jesus, whatever, they don't care. Someone with a shallow heart only lets Jesus' words affect some of her life, not all of her life. And when it becomes hard to be a Christian or things don't go her way, she gives up because it's not worth the fight. Someone with a divided heart hears Jesus but also loves the world, its riches, its pleasures. And those lusts choke the truth and her faith is starved. And eventually her faith dies. Do, do you see the picture? The good soil receives blessing upon blessing. The bad soil, even the tiny growth that they had, is taken away. Some of you here are good soil, and I'm so thankful for you. You want to hear the word of God because Jesus is your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your God. You love him. You believe he died for your sins, 
that he rose for forgiveness, you have no hope of going to heaven except for him. God gave you that desire to know his word, to love his people, to continue to live for Christ, not for yourself. That's amazing. And you should rejoice that that's you. You're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, I'm so thankful for you. God is good to sinners, isn't he? This is God's work within you. And he will not leave his work incomplete. Philippians 1, chapter 6, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, says, I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's the one who saved you. He will not abandon you. He's promised great things to you. And so trust him. Trust him even more. He's loved you with an undying love. And so love him and love him even more. Christ is our desire and we can rest in him. But some of you here are bad soil. When I was a high schooler, uh, we had about 30 to 40 kids in, in our youth group. Of those, I only know of three who today love Jesus Christ. We all went to the same camping trips. We served in the same church festivals. We heard the same Sunday school messages, played in the same basketball church league, had the same Bible teachers. Why did so many leave? Why did so many reject Jesus Christ? It's because they didn't really listen. They didn't pay attention to what they heard. And instead they hardened their hearts to his truth. They thought to themselves and maybe even said it to other people, ah, the Bible is just an old book. It's about how to be a good person. It, it doesn't matter for me today. They said, I, I can become a Christian later. Uh, when, you know, when I grow up and, and know more stuff. Church and youth group are boring. I just want to play video games, like, you know, do sports, watch TV, have lots of friends, whatever. That's where the real fun is at. It's not that I hate Jesus. I just want to live my life and Christianity prevents me from doing what I really want. The gospel is just a story. It doesn't change my life. God loves me anyways, right? So I can do whatever I want. Life is hard. What did Jesus ever do for me? Fundamentally, my friends rejected Jesus. They love themselves more than God. They love the world more than their own souls. And now they don't remember any of the Bible stories they learned in Sunday school. They don't understand the beauty of Jesus Christ. They don't know what the gospel is. And I know that because I've asked them, what is the gospel? What they have been given, they rejected. So God took it away. Don't be like them. Do not be like my friends who left. Do not be a fool. Don't delay in becoming a Christian. You must today trust that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the dead. You must be forgiven by his blood and know that you will never perish, but live in him. Do not be a fool. Don't think that you can love both Jesus and the world. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. First John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Either Christ is king of all, all that you are, or he's not your king. Do not be a fool. Don't assume that you'll always be surrounded by Christians and always be hearing about Jesus and his word. Families move all the time. Families change, they split, they stop coming to church. Lighthouse is a good church, not a perfect one. It's a good church. Don't waste your precious time here. Do not be a fool. Don't place anything as more important than the salvation of your soul. 
If you got everything you ever wanted, every dream fulfilled, every earthly desire, it would not be worth more than your eternity. To the one who has, more will be given. But from he who does not listen, even what he has will be taken away. If you realize that you're the bad soil, your only hope is to come to the king. Jesus is not hiding the truth, remember? He's broadcasting it to everyone, to the whole world. He's shining forth for everyone to see. He revealed himself not just 2,000 years ago all the way in Israel, but even today he says, I'm the light of the world. I am the Savior King. And as the light, Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all of the thoughts you have, your bitter thoughts against your siblings, and even the blatant lies you tell your parents. He knows the arrogant way you judge your teachers and the selfish lust that consume all your desires. He knows that you cheat on your tests and mock your classmates. He hates your sin, but he hated it enough and loved you enough to die for your sins. And in love, he says to you, Matthew 11, come to me, all who, are lab all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the Jesus who, if you come to him, he'll never reject you. He's the glorious king. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. Don't be a fool. Don't delay. Come to him. The king has revealed himself. He is the light of the world. Now in the next section, Jesus reveals his kingdom. Jesus reveals his kingdom, the unstoppable kingdom, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Pretend you didn't know what Jesus would say after he said, the kingdom of God is, how'd you fill in that sentence? Maybe the kingdom of God is like a high and mighty mountain. The kingdom of God is like a strong and mighty fortress. The kingdom of God is like a brilliant, beautiful diamond. I mean, that's, that's what I'd say. But Jesus actually says, no, the kingdom of God is like a farm. Right? And that, that's, that, that's ridiculous. Right? Like what? Like you're, you're a glorious king, Jesus. And your kingdom is like a farm? Like what? what, what how lame, right? How lame. But that's actually this parable's genius. The king, the, the point of the parable is that the king's beginning is not one of power and might, but humility. But make no mistake, the kingdom is unstoppable. The kingdom is unstoppable. Verse 27, it says that the farmer, he sleeps and he rises, right? And independent of him, the seed grows. How? The farmer knows not how. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself almost automatically without the farmer's help. Notice the progression, right? It goes from blade, then ear, then full grain, and finally harvest. Once the progress is started, it can't, excuse me, it cannot be stopped. Finally, verse 29, the purpose of the planting has come, harvesting the fruit, right? When the grain is ripe, the farmer does not delay, but he takes a sickle, he cuts down the grain, and he brings the grain home. What started as tiny little seeds of grain became a bountiful harvest. What started out as so mundane, so lame, assuredly marches to the climax. 
This parable has been really helpful for me. Jesus taught us to pray as I prayed in the beginning of the sermon. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us in Matthew 6, not to worry, but instead to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If I'm honest though, sometimes it doesn't seem like Christ's kingdom is any closer. I mean, every day we wake up, we eat breakfast, do Zoom school, do homework, go to bed. Every day, same thing. Even Saturdays and Sundays, like you can't tell, like what, what day is it even? We struggle to read the Bible and pray. We still complain and disobey our parents. We still falter in faith and hope and love. And we look at our world and things go from bad to worse, man. Like some crazy politician does something crazy, right? And then some crazy polit political party does something crazy. And then the other political party does something crazier. Just, ah, <laughs> right. Our friends still refuse to become Christians. Our loved ones get sick and die. Death sting cuts deep. Every passing day, our sorrow doesn't decrease, it actually increases, right? So as we wait, as, as I wait, our hope wavers. Our, our discouragement, and in our discouragement, we wonder, where is your kingdom, Lord? Why are things still so bad? Why, 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 are, things, why are things changing? But here's the encouragement from this parable. His kingdom is coming, but not through fireworks and spectacle. His kingdom is coming and it cannot be stopped. It doesn't depend on hum human ingenuity, human willpower, or human timetables. As sure as seed goes into the earth, sprouts and grow, so too does the kingdom of God come. It's unstoppable. But remember, growing takes time. Verse 27 says the farmer sleeps and rises night and day. That's the passage of time, right? Like none of you will take a seed, put it in the ground, and the next morning expect, you know, as you walk out, oh my gosh, a hundred foot tree. Like it's just, no one, none of you expect that, right? So why do you expect that of yourself? And why do you expect that of the kingdom? At my parents' house, uh, we have a part of the wall where we marked our height each year. Right, so on our birthdays, um, the kids would get a pencil and stand up you know, really straight against the wall, try not to cheat um, and then make a new mark, right? Um, one year, uh, I asked my dad to measure me the day after my birthday, you know, just, just check to see if I'd grown any, any, any bit and that, you know, that, that probably less than 24 hours, right? Um, spoiler alert, I didn't. It was exactly the same as the day before, right? But year by year I grew, right? There's evidence on the wall. I mean, I must have, because I'm obviously not the same height I was when I was 12. Right? So it is with personal growth, right? Compared to yesterday, even compared to last year, you probably can't tell if you're more like Jesus. You, you probably just can't tell. You, you probably can't really tell if you've grown your spiritual disciplines or not. It seems like nothing's changed. But I can guarantee this. If you are part of the kingdom of God, you know more of Christ and his word than you did 10 years ago. I mean, especially if like a middle schooler, because you were like three or two or something. So yeah, for sure, you know more than you were one. Okay. <laughs> for sure, you more, know more now than you did 10 years ago. I mean, you eighth graders, right? You're better at understanding sermons than you were two years ago. Do you remember being a sixth grader? You seventh graders, you're probably a lot more comfortable in your small groups than you were last year, right? And even you sixth graders, I mean, think of it, six months ago, that's like what, like June, July? You were still in children's ministry, still doing crafts every week, right? And now you're listening to like, you know, the big, the big boy sermons and the big girl sermons, just like with all the adults, right? Day by day, the change is really invisible to us, but by God's power, slowly but surely, he is growing us. He is transforming us to be a kingdom people.
So take courage. Don't give up. Open your Bible, read a verse. The next day, do the same thing. Maybe even read two verses, right? You slowly build a paragraph, you read a chapter, and you just keep going. God does not despise tiny beginnings in your life because he doesn't despise tiny beginnings in the kingdom. Right? Take our eyes off ourselves a little bit and look at the world, right? I mean, yeah, things don't look good. Um, there's like, you know, pandemic still and the government's still crazy and people are still dying. But the story is not finished because God is not done. He's still bringing his kingdom. The growth and the change might be imperceptible to us, but he will bring it. He will defeat Satan's sin and death. Every morning, we're one step closer to that eternal kingdom. Have faith in God. His kingdom is unstoppable, and it will come. But that brings us to another question. We've seen the kingdom, you know, it's going to come no matter what, but just what kind of kingdom will this be? What kind of kingdom will this be? Brings us to our next section. The unrivaled kingdom. The unrivaled kingdom, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Mustard seeds, yes, the same ones uh, used to make mustard sauce, are super small, right? But this tiny seed, verse 32 says, becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Although you might not recognize it, this is actually a direct reference to a part of the Old Testament, specifically Daniel chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. In that chapter, God compares a kingdom with a tree. Now, we don't have time to actually go read that passage, but if you want to look it up, you can. It's Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 to 21. In that passage, though, you'll find that the tree is actually being compared to the kingdom of Babylon, which is actually an evil kingdom. In our parable, however, Jesus takes the imagery of the kingdom tree imagery, and he applies it to the kingdom of God. Basically saying, even though it starts small, small as a mustard seed, it will become so great that it will surpass all other kingdoms, even the kingdom of Babylon. And a small beginnings, but a grand climax. God's kingdom is greater than any human kingdom. And that gives us hope. Remember, the book of Mark was written to people who are being killed and persecuted in the Roman Empire. During this time, Christians were being persecuted, literally chased down and, and crucified for their faith. But take heart, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is coming, and it will reign over the whole earth, including the Roman Empire. I mean, we don't live in the Roman Empire anymore. We live in the United States. <clears throat> You know, I, think, I would say things are still pretty crazy. Um, there's crazies in the street, rioting. There's crazies in the capital, invading. Um, both sides seem to have lost their minds. And <clears throat> I'm no prophet, but I don't think things are going to get any better in the next few years. Imagine with me if things got worse. Right? If your dad is fired from his job for being a Christian, what will be your hope? If your mom can't get a job because she's a Christian, what will be your hope? If your teacher mocks you at school because you read the Bible and you pray before lunch, what will be your hope? If you're bullied on your soccer team because you go to church instead of the game on Sundays, what will be your hope? If our country continues to reap the consequences of our sins, what will be your hope? Will it be a new president or better laws 
or maybe moving somewhere else? No, not our ultimate hope. Our hope will be the same as the first century Christians. We belong to the true king and his kingdom is coming. When his kingdom comes, it will rule over the United States. It'll rule over whatever the Roman Empire is. It'll rule over China. It'll rule over Russia. Every nation will be underneath his authority. And then righteousness, peace, and goodness, they will reign forever and ever. Dear Christian, we're citizens of that kingdom, God's kingdom. This great, matchless, better than all other kingdoms that have ever been and ever will be, that glorious kingdom. We have every spiritual blessing in heaven. God could not give us more. He's already given everything to us, Ephesians chapter 1. We call those who are in heaven saints. Those saints in heaven are very brothers and sisters. Courageous, godly, faithful believers, people who died for their faith, people like Peter and Paul and James. They're our spiritual ancestors. They're our family, Hebrews 11. We today enjoy the lavish, undying, everlasting, generous love of God the Father, Ephesians 2. We're sons and daughters of the King, the most privileged people, the most blessed of all eternity, Romans 8. We sit with Christ on his throne, the throne of, of he who will conquer, and we will reign with him, Revelation 22. So yeah, we live in a broken world. That's this how it's always been since Adam fell. But this is not our home. And so we can rejoice. We can look at the bleak future in the face in the face, and we march on with joy, with confidence, looking to that eternal kingdom. We can live as citizens of the king and his glorious kingdom with enduring hope. We can worship our king who suffered even to the point of death because we know that death does not have the last word. By his power, we press forward. By his strength, we seek his kingdom. This is Christ's unrivaled kingdom because it's better than every other kingdom that ever has been and ever will be. And we're its citizens. Finally, let's move to the last section. Verse 33. With many parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus, the lamp, the light of the world, he came to explain the kingdom of God. Only he could. Again, not an angel, not a Zoom call. Only he could. In Jesus, the mystery is revealed. Verse 34 says that he privately, to his own disciples, explained everything. Why? Because they're absolutely helpless to understand these things on their own. They realized they needed to go to Jesus. In the same way, you can't figure this out on your own. You can't figure out God and his kingdom by your own power. And it's not like math class. Like, like math is hard, but everyone can get better at math if you just practice study more, do more problems, right? But you can't understand the kingdom just by trying harder. You can only understand God in this kingdom by coming to the king. You can't figure it out on your own. Christ the king came to reveal the kingdom of God. The time of hiddenness and darkness, it's over, it's done. The time of revelation and light has come. The time of confusing parables, like the ones we went through, is over. The time of understanding has come. He invites you, he compels you, he woos you, he pleads with you to come and be part of this kingdom, this unstoppable, this glorious, this wonderful, unrivaled kingdom. Everyone has ears to hear, he says, let him hear. Or as he says back in chapter one, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe in the gospel. His kingdom's coming. And when finally we reach that last stage of the kingdom, this will be true. Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. We will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads, and night will be no more. We will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we with him will reign forever and ever. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you made your word clear. What a gift, Lord, that you care so much for sinners that you would want to show us through Christ yourself, your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would show us how glorious you really are, how much you've loved us, how truly Christ is the coming king, and that we would bow the knee to him and love him as he deserves, Lord. I thank you for every person here. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for listening. Um, Justin, you go with small groups? Yeah, we're good. Um, okay, so before we go there, uh, I just want to say welcome to a leader who's shadowing. Her name is Nicole Nakake. So if you're in her small group, please be very nice to her. Uh, we don't want to scare her off her first day. <laughs> um, other than that, I'll see you guys after small group. Thanks, Justin. <laughs>